good. I love activating the body for stuff like this, right? So good. Well, guys, as you wrap up, uh, we're just going to kind of uh, do a little bit of review. Uh, Marvin has had us in the series called The 20 Stones, and this is basically the foundational stones of what God is creating here at the well. And it's going to be all summer long we're going to be taking a look at these things because we believe that they're, 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 they're critical to what we're trying to accomplish here. And they're a part of who we are, our DNA. And so just to review, uh, start on this end down here. He started off with the encounter with Jesus. And we believe that the encounter with Jesus is the essential starting place. I mean, if we don't have Jesus in our heart and we don't encounter who he is, then, then that we, we need to have that happen. That's, that's, that's the essential part. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit here. We believe in the power of the Spirit. He is our comforter. He is our encourager. He is our helper. He is the one who empowers us. And man, without him, and again, I love that we invited his presence to be a part of our morning this morning. The word of God. Marvin delivered a powerful message. It said that we put our stake in the ground on the inerrant, inspired word of God. It is the truth. It is the compass that points to true north around us, and it has withstood the test of time. It has withstood the test of persecution. It's withstood all sorts of tests and gone the distance, and we believe that it is our landmark. That's what we want to have. We have the supremacy of love. Gosh, I mean, Paul made it pretty clear. You know, we can, we can have all sorts of tongues. We can have, you know, be able, the faith to move mountains. We can, we can do all these things that are amazing, but if we don't have love, we've missed it all. And Jesus said, you will be known as my disciples by your love for each other. And so, guys, that's our, our passion, our desire, is that this would be uh, when people say, oh, yeah, the well, that's the place where people love. Wouldn't that be cool to have that be the description for us? Priority of prayer. And again, my brother Marvin and Sally, thank you for bringing the priority of prayer to our fellowship. We've always been a praying family, but I think we've taken it to the next level, and God honors that. Man, what a joy to communicate with our king, right? We have that privilege, man, and dwell here 12 hours. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. This morning, though, we move into the sixth one, the goodness of the gospel. And I love this phraseology. We are a gospel-drenched church. Awesome. Right? I mean, it is like you're just taking a shower, and the gospel is part of that, and he's just pouring it all over us. And so what we want to do is I, I want to dive in right away this morning with kind of the key verse where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you get the impression that Paul was a gospel-drenched guy. He knew the goodness of the gospel. And that's our passion too. We want to adopt that. And Paul begins to expand some things. Here this morning, we're going to look at a definition of what is the gospel. We want to bring some definition. What are we talking about when we say the gospel? I think we all kind of have an idea in our head, but I want to expand on that. I want to talk about devotion to the gospel. God calls us to be devoted to this all-inspired message that he's encouraged us to bring. And then finally, we want to uh, demonstrate. My clicker suddenly died. Why? No. Well, I don't know why. Technology. You got to love it. There it is. Demonstration. Did you do that or did I do that? You did that. Okay. I know who's in control in the room right now. Okay. 
So no, we want to talk about how do we actually demonstrate the gospel. And so we're going to talk about these three things. So let's, let's just kick it off with a, a definition here. What is a definition of the gospel? I think Paul, in our key verse, puts it quite well. He says, the gospel, kick it up there. It should be there. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I mean, talk about a concise definition of what the gospel is. I mean, there's four things there, right? It's the power of God. It's salvation. It's available to everyone. And the caveat is you got to believe it, right? So what I want to do is begin to unpack some of these things. Head to the next one there, if you would. Paul begins to expand on this a little bit because that's obviously our, our Reader's Digest condensed definition. But in another passage, he kind of expands on this. He says, for the message of the cross, that is the gospel, you guys, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, that is the salvation part, right? It is the power of God. He continues, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Do you see that going on in our culture today? We got a lot of intelligent people who are being really frustrated. He continues, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Yes, he has. Press on. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, another descriptor of the gospel, right? To save those who believe. Continue. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Again, that's another synopsis of the gospel. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, those who believe, right? both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The gospel is the wisdom of God, you guys. And so what I want to do is unpack even more some defining qualities of what exactly the gospel is. So let's look at the first aspect here. The centrality of the gospel. And Paul puts this pretty clearly in this passage. Trigger it. Paul determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You kind of get the impression Paul was pretty focused. I mean, if he walks into a place, the first priority for him is the gospel. You guys, as we think about our heartbeat here, we want to be focused. That wants, we want to have that mindset that that is our focus. The next thing. We have a desperate need for the power of the gospel in our lives Every day. You know, sometimes we get the idea that the gospel, yeah, that, that was kind of relevant back when I asked Christ into my life. But Paul would argue in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, him crucified. We don't lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Right? So he's talking about this being a daily process of renewal. The next thing that we learn about this, your life, your family, and your legacy on this planet has changed as a result of your choice to respond to the gospel or not respond. 
I mean, you think about this, you guys. That decision you made to ask Christ into your life, think about what your life would look like if you hadn't made that choice. So your life, your family, your future legacy, the baton that you pass to future generations is shaped by your response to the gospel. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, Paul talks about that. He lays it all out about what our condition was when we were dead to sin, and but what are we like now that we're alive to Christ? The gospel is a work in progress until the day of Christ Jesus. This is why Paul said it's day by day. Philippians says, you know, the good work that I began in you, I'm going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the gospel, you guys, is not just something that we pray one time and we're all done. It goes on and it goes on and it's good. The commission of the gospel. Jesus made it pretty clear in the end of Matthew that this is his command for us to take this gospel out. It's that good. Go ahead. He commissioned and commanded the church to go out with the gospel and take it to the world. That's our mandate. This is why we exist well, family. It is this message that we want to take out. This is why we do saturate. This is why we've got this heart of taking the gospel to every household in our zip code, our Jerusalem. We're trying to live out the mandate of this. Next. The Holy Spirit is the power source. You know, God did not just kick us out the door and say, well, I hope you can pull this thing off. No, he said, I'm going to give you a source. I'm going to give you power. So this gospel is infused with that power like we read about, right? It's the power to transform. The gospel mission is not just for those with the gift of evangelism or those in full-time ministry. I've heard that so many times. Well, you know, that's not really my thing. I, I, I just don't really do that. I don't have that gift or I'm not called in the ministry. I love your phrase, tag, you're it, right? It's like if you're, if you're breathing and you have a pulse and you got Jesus in your heart, tag, you're it. And, and, and this message is yours to share with the people around you, right? Next one. I remind you what Bill Bright said. I've talked about this before. The successful witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God, right? It's not like you've got to lead every person you talk to to Christ. It's taking the initiative. Maybe you're a seed planter, or maybe you've got the joy of reaping that harvest. But either way, man, you're successful when you just go out and you reflect who he is. Okay, third aspect, communication of the gospel. Go ahead. The New Testament is filled with examples of how and what the disciples and Paul shared when communicating the gospel. Some people say, well, I, I don't really know what to say. You know, I mean, how do you communicate this message? Well, all you got to do is open your scripture. I mean, I, I just put up a grocery list of a few things here. Go ahead and throw the next one up there. This doesn't take, uh, you know, it doesn't take too long to get into the Bible and figure out that this is kind of central to what's going on. And these are just some of the examples. You know, I mean, First, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, you know, God made him who had no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we could become the righteousness of Christ. Right? That's a capsulated version of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, this is where he talks about the resurrection. He says, what I've been entrusted with, I'm going to impart to you. Acts 2, that's the story of Peter, right? That big sermon when the Holy Spirit fell on him. This is his whole message about the gospel. Acts 10, this is another story where Peter got invited by the Holy Spirit to go and bring it to a whole new group of people who had never heard before, and he shares the gospel. Acts 16, it's, it's the prisoner, right? I mean, the guard at the prison. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your whole household are going to be saved. 
Acts 17. This is Paul on Mars Hill where he goes into a city that he's just overwhelmed with all the idols like Carmel. And he says, I see that you're a very religious people, right? You've got a lot of gods in your life. It's amazing. Colossians and, I mean, we could go on and on about the stories and the examples in the scripture, right? Next one. Signs and wonders often accompanied the gospel message. I, I want to tell you something, man. In, in, our, in our Christian culture here in America, this is part of the gospel I think that we miss a lot. We're all about bringing the message, but we don't understand that there's some validation that goes to that message as we have signs and wonders. And I think that God wants to unleash some things. But the reality is, I, I go back to that story where Jesus was talking about in his own hometown, he couldn't do a whole lot of miracles because of their unbelief. I think it's an indicator of our condition in the United States. We don't believe, and so God's power is limited. But I want to tell you, man, I think he's unleashing power. He is breaking it out right now. And so, guys, as we go out, signs and wonders need to be part of what we're expecting God to do. You know Christ today because somebody stepped out in faith and shared the gospel with you, right? Right? Every one of us who knows Jesus Christ has a testimony. We've got a story about whoever it was who came into our life. I mean, 99% of the people had somebody tell them. Here's my question. Next one. What if they had failed to obey? Right? There's a weightiness that goes with the gospel. There's a beautiful aspect of it, but there's a weightiness and there's a responsibility that's been entrusted to us. So I think, I think this is significant. Let's talk about devotion to the gospel. What are we talking about when we say devotion to the gospel? Go ahead. The gospel flows out of a heart that has encountered Jesus. You guys, you're not going to have a passion for this if you haven't encountered him. And so what, what did Paul describe this devotion, this, this passion like? Let's read this passage here. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Next. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So out of this, we get three really emotional responses that happen when we encounter Jesus. And this becomes the motivation. This becomes the lifeblood to the gospel being real in our life. So here's the first one. Paul said he was under obligation. I looked up the dictionary definition. It says to act or, or course of action, an act or course of action to which a person is legally or morally bound a duty or commitment. And in this passage in Acts, this is where Paul, you know, the whole crowd's going ballistic on him because he's, he's all, you know, He's on basically going on trial, but he stands up to share his testimony, and he basically makes it clear in Damascus when he received that encounter, God made it very clear, I'm appointing you to go out. He had a mandate. And then also in 21 is where it says, I am sending you out to the Gentiles. It's like he had an obligation. God had basically said, you're the guy. You're going to go out and do this. A debt of gratitude owed. If you want a heartbeat of Paul's, he says, man, I consider everything lost for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. I mean, this stuff oozed through his veins. It was in his bloodstream, man. And so it was his, his heartbeat. The next thing that he talked about, 
He was eager to preach the gospel. How many of you guys feel eager to preach the gospel? So, I, I confess to you, there are a lot of times I'm not really so eager to do that, you know. But he says this, and, and again, dictionary says eagerness is longing, it's yearning, aching, zealous, passionate, enthusiastic, fervent, and diligent. Are those synonyms that describe our heart? You see, that, that's Jesus' passion. That's what we want, our passion. Guys, we've got the best news in the world. It's good news, man. We want to get this out. and We want to be eager. So, I, you know, we come to church, man, we get this fellowship, we want to fuel the tank. We want to fuel the tank so that when we go out of here, we're not going out just to get by till next week. No, we're going out of here ready to go, that we're eager to do this. Next one. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Unashamed means not embarrassed about your behavior or attitude, even if other people might not approve of it. There's a lot of people who don't approve of the gospel. Can I just share that with you? You're not going to win popularity contests going out and talking about Jesus. But the reality is, Jesus said, whoever's ashamed of me in this evil and adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of them. See, he puts it on the line, man. He's, he's saying there's a cost to this gospel. There's a cost to following him. And we want to be unashamed, unafraid, and understanding that, yes, you're going to be persecuted. You guys, this is part of the deal. Persecution comes with the Christian name. Are we going to be unashamed or are we going to cower in fear? I don't want to do that. I want to uh, bring up my friend Josh. Is that mic handy? Josh had an encounter this past week that I think you need to hear. Tell us about it, bro. Uh, well, I just want to honor the Father of the Gospel, the Heavenly Father. Yes, Lord. And just Bruce and Julie here, they do such an amazing job teaching us how to not be ashamed. And uh, actually, my parents are here. Hmm. And my in-laws, so if you guys can stand up. And they taught me, they taught me, uh, not only did they pray me and my wife out of addiction for about 10 years there, but I remember in the 80s and 90s, you know, at gas stations, seeing them, saying, hey, this person might need the gospel. What do you think, Josh? And when I got set free, you know, and they pray for me every day. My wife, if she can stand up, she prays for me too because I'm a little bit, of, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit fearful by nature. So that's why I, Bruce, I, I saw the way he's talking up here. I said, "Wow, that stuff's true." You know, not to be ashamed. Um, so I kind of find it funny when the Lord calls me a guy who's kind of fearful by nature to be a, a front runner, and uh, you know, these women right here, it's like, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." And this is in Noblesville. And when I saw him, it's like the gospel, you know. And I didn't expect her to get healed, but I know that healing's part of the gospel. And I just felt grace when I saw her. And I just said, hey, what's going on? You know, like the Good Samaritan. I said, what's going on? And uh, she, she's got osteoarthritis or a blood disorder, a plethora of infirmities. And I just started praying for her legs. And uh, mainly praying that the Father's love would touch her heart. Mainly just praying that the, the gospel would touch her heart. You know, that's, that's the main miracle. Yeah. 
and talking and talking to the pain and just asking the Father and speaking in authority over that pain. And I find this funny, but you see the woman holding her up. Her name's Rachel. She said after I was done praying, and I didn't, sometimes I don't want to push people and try to pull them out of the wheelchair, but uh, I kind of try to be polite. But her friend said, what, what do you think, Tony Ann? You want to try to get up and walk? And Tony Ann goes, you know, just like this, and started walking all around the gas station. And I started sharing the gospel with them and um, praying over each one of them. And the 7-Up guy overheard what was going on. <laughs> and he, he's a believer, too. And he, um, and you know what he said? He said, keep doing that. Essentially, don't be ashamed. And he said, I'm a Christian, too. And we had many church service out there. And again, I'm a little bit fearful of this kind of stuff, and I kind of find it interesting. The Lord wants to use me to be an example, because if I can do it every day, you guys can. And uh, I believe we're all called to do the work of an evangelist at times, just like the Good Samaritan. There's poor, dying people, and Jesus is the answer, and all you guys hold that. So, uh, yeah, praise God for that. Thank you. That's awesome. I just wanted you guys to hear that. Josh is under obligation. If you know his testimony, he said, God healed me from an amazing addiction. He's eager to preach. This guy is so eager to preach, man. He just goes out and he's looking for people. And bro, I appreciate the fact that you aren't ashamed. That you overcome fear. And so that's, that's what it's all about, man. That is so what it's all about. That, that leads me to the final element that I want to talk about the gospel this morning. And that's some demonstration. Now, obviously, that was a demonstration. But I'm here to tell you, demonstrating the gospel doesn't always necessarily have to translate into sharing the gospel physically with somebody. Let's talk about a a definition here. The gospel is not just a message. It is a love expressed in action. Last Sunday, Julie and I were privileged to uh, attend Sean Boltz's church, if you know Sean Boltz. Uh, He's out in Glendale, California, going into the toughest part California taking it right to uh, kind of the, the main, um, all the Hollywood stars, and, and, but yet there's a, so much brokenness there. Sean was not there that week, but another guy named Cy Rogers was. I don't know if you know Cy Rogers. Uh, Cy is, is basically, he was the former president of Exodus International. If you know anything about Exodus, that's the calling people out of homosexuality. And, uh, and Cy's story, he started sharing a little bit of his story I had no idea, man, but, but here was a guy who was totally abused starting at age five, and, and he basically was raised in an environment where the only way he could get love is if he gave himself to men. And so by the time he, he reached his, his late teens and heading into his early 20s, he decided he felt like he was a transgender. And so he lived two, almost two years of his life practicing to become a woman. And at that point, he encountered Jesus, and something crazy happened. And he got involved in a church, and he said, this church did three things really well. Do you want to know what they are? And so I want to share Sai's content with you briefly this morning. The first thing that Sai said this church did really well, he said, love is not a feeling. It's not having your needs met, but love is an assigned value. 
And he said that they walked, I walked into this church and they assigned value to me by showing me acceptance. What does that mean? You are so valuable, I'll take you like you are. Guys, we are the well. And we talk about this, that this is our our place where we're going to be bringing the woman at the well, right? Was the woman at the well awesome? She was broken. She had all sorts of issues going on in her life. And yet Jesus met her at the well. We were having a staff meeting this past Friday. And we were, Marvin did an activation exercise. He says, I want to go around the room and just ask the Spirit for a word for each of the different ministries going on in our church. We got to the young adult ministry, which is our new one with Tori and Lish, right? And a word came out that we are going to be bringing in the misfits. The misfits of our culture are going to be coming to the well. And so what happened in this situation, Sai says, I got into this church, and obviously they knew my background. They knew my brokenness, and they didn't reject me. They took me in and said, man, we're so glad you're here. And they revealed the Father's heart. He said, because they did that, they, he saw this. Go ahead. Therefore, God is, go for it. He was aware. God knew Sai's condition. He was understanding. He knew the brokenness of Sai's life. God was compassionate and said, yes, I love you. I love you. I want you to experience everything. And it, he was approachable. He wasn't this distant God who said, no, you get your act together and then you can come see me. No. Sai said, they showed me acceptance. You guys, this is the gospel in action. This is what we want to see here at the, at the well. The second thing Sai said, he said, this church did this really well, and it's accountability, which means this. You are so valuable, I won't leave you as you are. I will grow and groom and guide and grow you forward. And he said, that's what they did. He said, I knew that I had a whole misconception about what men were and how they were supposed to be in my life. I didn't have good role models. They took me under their wing. They started inviting me to men's groups, to men's Bible studies, to men's retreats, and I began to see Jesus modeled. And I begin to see what men and real love looks like. And they hold him accountable to it. And they begin to see this. Go ahead. God is observant. The men observed what was going on in Sai's life. They didn't judge him, but they said, man, you're valuable. I want to give you some guidelines. This is the Father's heart. I want to train you. And God's going to be the one who corrects you. I'm not going to be the one who's going to go out there and say, you need to be like this. God's Holy Spirit does the correction, and then he began to understand that there were rewards. This is a father who wants to reward his children for obedience, for going the distance with him and saying, yes, I want to love you back. This church did accountability really well. And guys, can I just tell you something? This is messy. It's not going to be neat and orderly and clean, and there's going to be some stuff going on in here that you might, you might look kind of, ooh. Welcome to the mess. Welcome to the mess. This is the gospel in action. The, the third thing Sai said that this church did really well was affirmation. What does that mean? You are so valuable, I'll prove it to you by the way I treat you. See, people walk in here with hurt. They walk in here with all sorts of pain. He walked into that church with all sorts of pain, and they didn't say, well, man, you just need to get over it and get, no, they, they validated his pain. They said, man, I am so sorry. I can only imagine how that must have been growing up for you, right? 
They saw the Father's heart. And so they saw these things. God is invested in them. He's not just going to give you a pat on the back and say, be warmed and filled. No way. He dives in. He comforts them. He compensates. He inspires. He empowers them. You guys, this is the gospel demonstrated. It's good. It is good. And it's what he's calling us to here at the well. It is a foundational stone of who we are. I want you to read a little quote from a book that I read recently. Rusty Rustenbach wrote this book called A Guide for Listening and Inner Healing Power. This is good. In the Gospels, we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem at her upcoming destruction, feeling deep compassion for the large numbers of people who are harassed, distressed, dejected, and helpless, and being moved with pity and sympathy by a leper. Jesus was in touch with a life lived from his heart. Prostitutes and sinners felt at home with him because he was able to sympathize with their brokenness, treat them with deep love and fervent compassion, and enter their world. Oof. Are you up to the challenge? This is where God's saying, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. This needs to be your heartbeat. And guys, it has to be an encounter that we have with Jesus. We have that, that whole first commandment thing over here, encounter with Jesus. The first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then go out and love your neighbor. Guys, all these things are pivotal to get to the gospel. All these stones, we got to love Jesus. We got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We got to have the word in our heart so we have something to give. We need the supremacy of love. Man, this is what this is all about. We need the priority of prayer. God, prepare our hearts. Open my eyes to see what you see. And then give the goodness of the gospel. I want to wrap up um, with a video that really says what the gospel is. So let's, let's watch. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny, our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? 
Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer, an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us. Trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says is part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated, and the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone gotta be perfect, or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection, we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in Him, and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. I just want to pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth that you bring life. And Lord, you know the heart of every person in this room. And I thank you, Lord, that if, if they know Jesus, God, that they would be encouraged to realize that they can walk out of this room and imparter, just like Josh, of the greatest news ever announced. And if there's some in the room who don't know you, Father, that that eloquent presentation of the truth of the gospel would register in their heart 
that they could begin a relationship right now by simply saying, yes, Lord, I surrender. I want that life. So, God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name. So, I want to have a ministry time, but if you've got kids, I encourage you to go out and get that. Get that. Get them. Get them kids. Uh, and if you'd like to come back in, that would be great. But if we've got some of the ministry team folks available to come up front, just available to pray with you. Maybe some of the things you shared this morning resonate in your heart, and you're just saying, yeah, you know what? I have not been a good purveyor of the gospel, but I want to step up. I want to surrender. I want to yield. I want to go for it. Maybe you want to know about Jesus. You've never really talked to him in that way before. And I just invite you guys to do that. So if there's any ministry folks, tag, you're it. And if there aren't any ministry folks, I just elected you. So anyway, on your way out, moms, we've got some of our iGen kids by the door. If you're a mom this morning, you get a rose as a little reminder that you are like the rose of Sharon. You are like the rose to him. You are a beautiful fragrance to your king. And so from the well to you, take a flower. So happy Mother's Day, you guys. We're glad you're here. Come back again next week. Come to dwell on Wednesday. Experience all that the Father has for us on those Wednesdays. It's awesome. Love you guys.